All right, so joining me today is uh, is Mark Crawford. Um, Coach Crawford has been in the league uh, 20 plus seasons. He's coached with uh, the Quebec Nordiques, Colorado Avalanche, Vancouver Canucks, uh, LA Kings, Dallas Stars, uh, Ottawa Senators, and now with the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, he, in his first season in the NHL, he was the youngest coach to win the Jack Adams Trophy, which is uh, Coach of the Year. And uh, not only has he been an uh, insanely um, successful coach, he also was a, a fantastic player in the NHL. Um, I was lucky enough to work with him in Dallas and uh, can truthfully say that uh, he's one of the best dudes around too. So, uh, Crow, glad to, glad to have you here. Thank you for joining. Uh, thanks for having me, Mike. Very nice uh, words uh, for me as well. Appreciate it. My sentiments exactly. I enjoyed working with you as well. So we're going to go through a couple things here and, and you're, you know, you're a, obviously have a wealth of experience. You've, you've seen the kind of evolution of the, the league. You, uh, you know, one of the things I didn't mention is that you took a stint and worked over in, in Switzerland with a lot of younger players and kind of changed your way of coaching a little bit um, to adapt to the, to the younger generation. But You've been around a lot of great players. I mean, I look at it and I think, you know, the Messier, uh, the, you know, Sackicks and Patrick Waz and, you know, the list goes on and on. When you reflect back at, you know, your time in the league, who are some of the best leaders that come to mind that, that you've had and what made them good? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I've had, uh, uh, you started off by saying Mark Messier. I thought Mark was really an incredible um, leader for a young team. We, uh, I, I got the job with Vancouver at the end of 1999, or I guess the beginning maybe of 1999. And um, uh, he was in his second year with the team. And uh just how he handled himself. Uh, for me, Mark Messier's greatness was that Mark never let you see him at anything but his best. And that is such a remarkable quality to have. Um, it's like he was above the fray. There could be shrapnel flying all around. Uh, there could be turmoil. And Mark never seemed to lose his cool, never seemed to lose uh, his presence. Uh, I thought on the bench, he was an excellent leader. He always uh, had a, a knack of saying the right thing. Uh, he was a great teammate. So I think he'd been around those terrific teams in, in Edmonton, been such an uh, integral part of those teams in Edmonton and in New York uh, that he knew and he had seen just about everything that there was to see. So uh, he always uh, seemed to have an answer for what was the right thing to say at any particular moment. Uh, one of the greatest uh, memories I have is the last game he played in a Canuck uniform. And we had lost out our chance to be in the playoffs the night before um, in a home game in Vancouver, the second last game of the season. So we went to play a nothing game, the final game of the season in San Jose. And um, I, I asked Mark, it was one of the best things I'd ever done that year, was I asked Mark, Mark, do you have anything to say to the guys? And uh, what, I, what he said was just incredible. 
especially for a young team. You know, you had a young Bertuzzi, you had a young Marcus Naslin, a young Brendan Morrison, like all just really good, young, uh, excellent players. Matthias Olin, Ed Jovanovsky, uh, the, the, all those guys were, were in the room. And, and Mark said, yes, he says, you never want to let anybody see you at anything but your best. And he said, you know, this, this San Jose team is going to be good. They've made the playoffs this year. They're going to be good for a number of years. And obviously he was very right because that was the start of the Marlowe Thornton, all those uh, years for them. And uh, it had such impact on our players, uh, you know, that just that simple thing of saying people remember, people know everybody's always gauging you. Everybody's always measuring you. So make sure you, uh, you're professional and do the right thing uh, with your preparation for this nothing game. I mean, we could no longer make the playoffs. We couldn't uh, advance ourselves in any way other than by doing the right thing and having personal pride. And our team went out and played one of the best games we played in the entire year. We beat uh, San Jose the last game of the season. And I thought it was just the perfect message uh, to give the players. And the fact that it came from our captain and such a, a noted leader just left such an impact on all of those players uh, that ended up becoming the nucleus of a very good Vancouver Canuck team. Wow. That's a, it's really cool. And I was lucky enough to my short little cup of coffee in the NHL. Mark Messier was, was the captain, uh, when I came into Vancouver and I'll never forget, he was one of the first people to come up and greet me and welcome me. And then also, uh, when we were out for warmups, we were playing in Edmonton and you could hear Mess all the time, just tapping his stick and, you know, being really supportive. Uh, as you can imagine, you're pretty young and nervous. And to have a leader kind of show that uh, that type of leadership um, to me was just just amazing. And that's just the type of guy he was. Yeah, absolutely. His presence was uh, second to none. Um, you know, you, you talked about other great leaders. I had some some excellent leaders, you know, going right back to my first year uh, in the league in Quebec, you know, I thought there Wendell Clark was a guy that had been the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs and was involved in the big trade for Matt Sundin. But I thought uh, Wendell was a, a, a great leader in the same vein um, for us in Quebec city that year. And, and wow, he led, he led with, with toughness. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can remember there being a lot of games where we needed to have a physical edge and he provided that physical edge and just seemed to make everybody else around him more comfortable. Of course, in Colorado, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, Joe Sackick. I thought Joe uh, just absorbed so much of the people that he played with uh, in his uh, NHL career, whether it was Peter Stashney or Michelle Goulet, uh, Wendell Clark, and, and certainly Patrick Waugh and Claude Lemieux. Those guys had all won before, and that was the one thing that Joe hadn't done uh, when he was the captain in Quebec. And I thought, you know, while he always seemingly did the right thing and he always played his best, he hadn't gotten the subtleties of, of leadership. But watching and the learning from those great players that he'd been exposed to, uh, I thought made him into uh, one of the... Um, preeminent leaders uh, of his time in the National Hockey League. Uh, mm -hmm. Joe led by example. Uh, he, if we needed something to happen on the ice, he was the guy that was going to go out and make it happen. Uh, Joe was a leader in um, 
in the dressing room uh, from the standpoint of there's nobody that I can remember that worked as hard off the ice as Joe Sackick had. He uh, uh, really, uh, I think, captured the attention of Peter Forsberg because Peter started doing the same things as Joe did in their pregame uh, warm-ups in their, in their strength and conditioning regiment. And that's what allowed them to be as great as they, they were, as not only were they exceptionally talented athletes, but they had just got such good habits. Yeah. And I continued going on. Uh, of course, we've talked about Mark Messier, but Marcus Naslin learned so many good lessons uh, from Mark Messier and the other good leaders in, in Vancouver that uh, he became a great leader. I had a great young player in Los Angeles, Anze Kopitar, who has become one of the best captains in Los Angeles Kings uh, history. And uh, again, I think it's, it's having a uh, a great personality. It's having great work ethic. It's having really good um, uh, rapport with your teammates. And you keep going on. My time in Dallas, Jamie Ben was that guy. Now he's the captain of, of, of the Dallas Stars. And he had all of those traits as well. Um, as I uh, continued on in, in, in Ottawa, uh, there were a lot of uh, quality people uh, with the with the Ottawa Senators, um, and you know, I think you're starting to see so many of them become captains in their own right. Mark Stone uh, in uh, in Vegas now. Uh, Jean Gabriel Pajot uh, was was exceptional in what he did, and I thought Eric Carlson, uh, as much as he was a, an extremely unbelievably talented guy, what I liked about him was he was just so competitive, and he always wanted to find a way. Uh, to, to win a game. Um, now, in my present job, I've, I've been uh, around Jonathan Taves and uh, to see him, to see Patrick Kane, to see Duncan Keith, uh, you understand why the Chicago Blackhawks won three Stanley Cups because in just those three guys, along with Brent Seabrook, um, they had such a nucleus of great quality people. Uh, with Jonathan Taves, uh, I, I think for him, it's that he has such a desire to find answers. Um, he will knock on every door. He'll question coaching. He'll question um, referees. He'll question management. He'll question teammates, which always isn't an easy thing to do. But he's only about one thing, and that is excellence. And he not only drives himself to be excellent, he tries to drive other people as well. So I've been very fortunate. I've been around some some rock solid people in the National Hockey League um, during my career as, as a coach, especially. And that's not even to mention the great uh, players that I played with, uh, like Stan Smeal. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of the guys like that who were terrific leaders for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. And I think it's important to note, too, that, you know, it doesn't you don't have to wear the captaincy in order to be a leader. There's you know, there's all types of leaders on a team and one of the things you were kind of hinting at too is, is how infectious great leadership is in creating culture within an organization. And, you know, we as coaches can sometimes try to set that up, but ultimately it's the guys in the dressing room that you just mentioned that really kind of build, help build the culture. And then younger guys come along, like you said, Peter Forsberg learning from Joe Sackick and that culture just continues to grow. Um, you know, the, the opposite stands true too. If, if an organization lacks that leadership or culture, uh, you know, sometimes it's harder to get that ship turned around. 
Yeah, that that is true. And and again, I, I like your point. You don't have to wear a leather to be a great leader. One of the guys that was a great leader for us with the Colorado Avalanche team was Mike Keene. And Mike's role on that team was um, was one of, I, I just think he kept everybody on an even keel. Uh, when Patrick Waugh would be, um, you know, um, very vociferous in the room, um, Patrick had a way of, of, of making sure his message um, was tempered um, because I think, you know, people are different and rah-rah uh, doesn't work with some. Um, being quiet, very introspective and uh, explaining thoroughly works with others uh, and some people need a push. Uh, so uh, having someone that understands the balance that a team needs, and that's what Mike Keene, I think, did so well. Uh, he, was a, he was a terrific competitor, uh, but I thought he tempered the messages of Adam Foote, of Patrick Waugh, of Claude Lemieux, of Joe Sackick, uh, he had a great feel for the emotional state of everybody uh, on his team. And I thought that he did a great job of, of filtering uh, messages, which sometimes is, is such an important uh, trait to have. So that's just an example of a guy that didn't wear a letter for us uh, with the Colorado Avalanche, but he was certainly a big part of our leadership group. And, and I also liked your point that it, it ends up being – uh, that you have more than than just a captain. Usually, it's a group of leaders that uh, end up uh, running teams. Yeah. And in my experience, Mike, it's been that the best teams are driven from within the driving uh, the dressing room. Mm -hmm. You know, a coach can say what he wants, and a coach can be very demanding. Uh, a coach can be as good as he possibly can, uh, but the buy-in has to come in from the people in the dressing room. And the buy-in, usually, if you want to be successful, has to be fairly complete. And the only way that it becomes fairly complete is that message has to be um, echoed or uh, at least uh, repeated by uh, the leaders that are inside the dressing room. And they have to believe in it. So uh, I know with uh, the teams that I've had that have had success, there has been a strong self-driven inner circle inside the dressing room where really the coach is not part of. You have to have a lot of trust in your players and build that trust in them. And they have to have in, in turn a, a lot of trust in you that you're going to put the right people out there at the, at the right time and that your message is in fact the right message. And that's why you're so important to have dialogue, to have communication and to have really good um, relationships with the leaders on your team because uh, they'll usually make sure that anything that is uh, of substance gets repeated, anything that is a problem gets discussed, and hopefully you find your way uh, smoothly along the trials and tribulations of a season and, and towards a championship. Yeah, exactly. Um, if you look at you know players as a whole, what are the top traits that you're looking for in your players? Like what are the, obviously it's different for different roles and so forth. And, but what are some of those qualities that are just non-negotiable you want your players to have? Number one would probably be talent. <laughs> it helps. <laughs> yeah, it really does help. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it, 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 
it's talented people that work extremely hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's excellence uh, because I don't think you become a talented person just by accident. I don't believe that it's just God-given skill. Uh, I think that there's a tremendous of, of amount of work that goes into someone mastering the skills that are necessary to be successful in the sport of hockey. Uh, I think uh, a, a workmanlike uh, effort is needed, uh, undisputedly, and that is something that I really value. I value competitiveness. Uh, I think competitiveness, finding a way to, to win a battle, finding a way uh, to, to find success in, in any given game, no matter what the circumstances, that's really important. I think toughness is a very underrated um, necessity in, in the sport. I, you know, in my experience, uh, you need toughness to win because the battles uh, that you go through require uh, that there's a lot of physicality and that you win some physical battles. Uh, yes, you can outsmart people and you can outskill people, but in my experience, normally it involves some level of physical um, attrition, uh, I guess would be the best uh, word. Uh, during the seven game series that are the Stanley Cup playoffs in the league that I'm involved in, no matter what league I've ever been in, there's always an attrition that happens. You, you, you need to not so much break your opponent, but you got to be better than them. Mm-hmm. And you have to find a way to meet that challenge on a nightly basis. And it's different. It's different at home. It's different on the road. Uh, it's different uh, based on the circumstances of a, of a game. Maybe you fall behind early and you've got to fight back. Uh, maybe you have an early lead and, and the, the other team fights back and you've got to fend them off. So there's all sorts of challenges that come. Uh, but that physical strength is such a big part of, uh, of what um, propels a team uh, through. Uh, but I like all of those attributes. And uh, I, I think having um, intelligence, skill, vision, uh, those are all attributes that are that are necessary. I think any great player that I've had has had tremendous vision. They see the game so well. Uh, they see what's happening and they see about all these things that I've been talking about are happening. And they usually have a, uh, enough intelligence that they know instinctively um, what the right thing to do or what the right response uh, is. I love it. I'm going to ask you a tough question uh, that you may not have been asked a lot. And I have my own opinion on this, but what makes Mark Crawford good? What, what have, what have you, what are the qualities that you've had? A lot of them are what you've just talked about, but what's made you be able to be so successful as a coach? Um, I have very good instincts for the game. So I think I see the game uh, as it's uh, uh, settling out. And um, uh, I, I think I, I see which players are going and which players might not be going. And um, because of that, I'm instinctively, I, I trust that I, I trust the judgment that I have and I make decisions according to that. And, you know, as I've gotten older and gotten more experienced, 
I've seen situations over and over and over again. So experience helps because it, 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 it maybe allows you to say, okay, I've seen this before. Maybe not do what I did last time. Let's, let's change the approach. Uh, but it also can be another way. It can be something where um, you see it uh, for what it is and then you, you react in the, in the proper way. Uh, I, I will say this, I was much more instinctive as a coach earlier in my career. I've used more experience later in my career because, you know, I think that's just the aging process. I'm not sure which is better. Um, and I, I say that um, knowing that uh, that's probably not a very comforting thought for a lot of people. Uh, but I do think that Trusting what you believe in is really important. And as I said earlier in my career, I was so gung-ho that I think I really did trust myself uh, almost emphatically. And now as I've gotten older, I've uh, tried to reason things out. And uh, maybe that's because I've gotten myself in trouble um, with instinctively uh, being uh, emotional. And uh, now I've recognized that not everybody is as emotionally uh, charged as I am. And, uh, and you can create problems if you're over emotional in games. So I think that's probably the reason why I'm, I am like I am. Crow, obviously not everybody gets the opportunity to go play in the, in the national hockey league. And uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot of great athletes that, that haven't made it. Um, what are some of the things within hockey that you believe gives anybody that's been lucky enough to compete at a high level, certain lessons, certain superpowers to succeed in just regular work world? Well, I, I think, first of all, it takes so much preparation. It takes so much effort. It takes so much uh, of your own excellence to, to rise in the hockey world. So no matter if you play at the high school level, if you play at the competitive level, uh, uh, U18, U20 level, if you play at the minor league level, if you play at the NHL level, if you play at a world uh, level, because you've been putting so many good qualities into being the best that you can be, you're already doing so many things that are the recipe for success in any walk of life. Um, you know, if you're, if you're working in a, uh, in a factory, you know, if you have great habits and, and uh, you do your job well, then hopefully your factory is a successful one and you're putting out products. Maybe you're getting bonuses because you, your production is good. Uh, those are all the habits that are, are necessary to be successful in athletics. They're, they're necessary to be successful in any workplace. When you think about schooling, you know, you, you can't just be smart by uh, hearing one thing uh, one time and, and having a great memory, usually you've got to study, you've got to read, you've got to ask questions, you've got to find uh, out more, you've really got to search and, and, and find a way to, to get to grasp more and more knowledge. Uh, so, uh, again, that's what great players do is they they're thirsty to improve. Uh, I think having an improving mindset is such an important uh, attribute to have where you constantly don't just rest on your laurels you're always finding a way uh, to be a little bit better whether it's one percent or two percent or five percent uh, I think there's always something that you can do 
in any walk of life to make your next day that much better. And I was lucky enough to have uh, parents who kind of displayed that mindset for us, uh, for all my brothers and my sisters. And we were always um, not pushed, but we were always encouraged to try and uh, be the best that we can be, whether it was in education or in sports or as people. And, uh, and again, I think that's what uh, you want to do. You want to have that reputation as uh, someone who strives for excellence, as someone who exhibits you know, that improving mentality, that someone that tries to find uh, solutions, someone that is a problem solver. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not always that you're going to be the guy that's going to get it done, but hopefully you recognize other people that have like qualities and you, uh, you delegate well and you find a way to, as a group, become successful. Because I think that uh, also is such a big attribute of what happens in a team sport is you learn to work well with others. And boy, that's going to come up so many places in the rest of your life. It's going to come back up in any workplace that you have. It's going to come up in your family. It's going to come up in your marriage. Uh, usually, um, you know, trying to find a way to problem solve, trying to find ways to work together. I mean, I'm at the point now where I've got older children and, and we have a lot of discussions with our extended family, you know, whether it's uh, um, my son's uh, wife, my daughter's boyfriend, uh, you know, our, our mother, uh, our mother-in-law, uh, aunts and uncles, you know, so we're constantly trying to do things that uh, involve groups of people. And when you have that skill set, uh, hopefully you can uh, find solutions that make your day-to-day -day life a little bit easier. hundred percent. Well said. Uh, last question here, Crow. Your, uh, you're sitting down at a table. Across from the table is young 18-year-old Mark Crawford. You get to give him one piece of advice. What do you tell him? Uh, I would tell him, work harder than even you think that you're going to have to. You know, as I look back, I, I know I worked very hard. Uh, and I know that I, uh, I was, I didn't cheat myself, but I know that there's another level as well. And uh, I think knowing where I sit now, having seen that other level, um, that's what I would tell my 18-year-old self that, uh, you know, you can push yourself even harder than you think you can push yourself. And, you know, the best of the best, they don't get there by accident. They usually have the best work ethics. They have the best, um, uh, the best practice habits. And that uh, ends up usually being the difference maker.